Steve Mathis production. Check it out, Pulp MX fans. We're proud to announce iPhone users can now get the official Pulp MX app from the App Store and have archives, show drops and technical info, stories, and even exclusive bonus Pulpcasts not available anywhere else. As always, use the Mathis code at btosports.com, and when buying from Amazon, click the banner on pulpmx.com to show your support. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOsports.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX Podcast Show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis, with you as usual. Uh, with me on the line is, is a guy I've been trying to get for a while, and we finally uh, found some past, our, our past crossed here the day before Daytona Supercross, and that would be none other than Rob Hendrickson of RG3 Suspension. Uh, Rob, what's up? Oh, not much. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you pursuing me <laughs> and uh, making me sound important. Yeah, well, you know, I like doing these things, and... and Generally speaking, I like doing it with people that are a lot smarter than me, and you're one of them. You qualify. so um, I'm smart enough to make you think that I'm smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Huh? Um, no, hey, listen, RG3Suspension.com, uh, that's your business. You started it. How long have you been in business for now? It's been a while, huh? Yeah, I started in 98. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, what's that, 14 years almost? Yeah, yeah. And uh, coming this year would be 14 years. So uh, it's been a... It was a deal where I was working for other companies and making them okay money, and I figured I should have a crack at this. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not the same working for yourself for sure. Right. You uh, you definitely hang it out there. Um. But, uh, and it's not easy in these times to uh, to be a you know uh, I mean everybody not everybody that gets their suspension done and there's lots of competition and and it's not been easy. But 14 years you've been there and obviously uh, working working well for you. Yeah, it kind of exploded right away when it wasn't it wasn't really what we anticipated. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd start a company and, and fiddle around with some products and then release products and do suspension service for people to pay the bills. But people sort of followed me, mm-hmm. and then it, the doors blew open with work wanted, and I had to hire people, and that wasn't I wasn't expecting to do that for a couple of years. Yeah, um, and so mm-hmm. it's been. A lot of times, sort of trying to catch up, which isn't a good feeling to have, but it's exciting and things move quickly and and uh, definitely gets the time passing. Um, now your four post clamp, the upper clamp uh, that you came out with, uh, God, it's got to be right around when you started, right? Maybe that was one of your one of your ideas you had kicking around. Yeah, it's. Um, I think we patented it in two thousand one. Is when the patent was issued. Okay, and it was just. Um, you know, if you ride a Honda and you just love the bike and you fall down in a turn, there's just you've got to draw the line now. There's got to be a better way to keep the bars straight mm-hmm. when you've got two <laughs> pencils going through some rubber mounts. Yeah. So yeah. we just made it four, and then it worked out really well, and we played with rubber dampers and, you know, the stiffness of the rubber, and, and yeah. then ended up being a patentable idea. So we went for it. You've got to be like McDonald's where you have under the RG3 tagline over – a million sold. I mean, those things have done well for you, right? It's a great product. Everybody I've known who's ever used it likes it. 
and uh, it's got to be your best-selling thing, right? I mean, uh, you'd have to say? Definitely our best-selling thing, yeah. and we, we make linkages also, mm-hmm. and that's been a huge uh product for us but you know the the flagship is for sure the triple clan yeah yeah and we, we sell the daylights out of them and and often can't keep them in stock on certain models yep so the high sellers like a yamaha and honda you're, you're all day long making them and then you sell them all out. <laughs> you gotta make them all again you know it's yeah. a good problem to have but yeah you know yeah yeah uh, we had some good machinists in the beginning um you know like cmi made machine products for us and and they still do yep but uh, we brought a lot of stuff in house to speed up production and you know have control over our prototyping mm-hmm. and things and that's really made things happen you know yeah. but um if i could plug a machine shop man cmi they know their business they're very good yeah they and they do a lot of things for a lot of factories um and uh right. i think i think i'm thinking thinking of the same shop anyways um so uh, basically what your your what's your education you're you're actually a real engineer aren't you yeah, I did an engineering yeah. uh, thing in New Zealand, and then uh, concurrent with that, did a, a motorcycle apprenticeship, um, which covers your your schooling. They mm-hmm. they pay for your schooling and put you through their their program, and it's a four and a half year apprenticeship, and with with good credits and everything, you can get that down to four. Mm-hmm. But you spend your life working for a dealership that pays you, you know, yeah. you know, maybe minimum wage, and then. I was lucky to get in with a dealership that had, uh, you, you know, they had race teams that they sponsored. So yeah. uh, I was on the hit the ground running, basically building engines and suspension and playing around with things and racing myself. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my education is um, from a technical end. Um, you know, I have the credentials, but on the practical end, you know, I've been under the bus in the workshop. So, yeah, yeah, right. You know, that definitely rounds it out. Um, and so the the clamp idea is something you've had in your back pocket for a long time. Um, no, not really. I, I by nature I kind of fiddle with things and try and make them better and and mm-hmm. do. Uh, you know that sounds. I, I hear you chuckling. You think I'm talking about fiddling with something else, but um, <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm talking about. Uh, you know, like if, if looking at things, and I think it's the nature of a mechanical mind. You want to improve on something, mm-hmm. and I have several patents pending, and this is just one thing that annoyed me. <laughs> and no, one day I just had enough and thought, how can I do this differently, and, and worked it out. But um, it wasn't sort of sitting around for a long time. It was just something that I had to do, and it turned out to be a product we could sell. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Um, we had other products we thought we would release, and some of them we still haven't released um, and haven't gotten to. But the um, the clamp, you know, came along and basically uh, took over our lives, if you like. <laughs> it was the alien that just kept devouring everything. Yeah, that's right. Well, you think, wow, we got them all done, you know. Right. Oh, then the year after, the model changes slightly. The steering head is different. Yeah. or you know, we've got a different stem diameter, so we've got to redesign. Or, you know, mm-hmm. Honda came out with two mounts in the front for their number plate, all those things, different offsets, standards. Yeah. And, you know, you got to go back to the drawing board and make the whole part again, which yeah. is, is kind of fun, but it's also time-consuming. Yeah, yeah, exactly, huh? Uh, um, and, and then somewhere along the line, you made it to America. I met you while you were working at FMF. <laughs> FMF decided to do... Be a, become a suspension shop at some point, and you were the head of that. 
uh, in '97, right. I guess I would have met you when I was working for Ty Birdwell, way back in the day. Hey, um, that's right. So, that's what I was thinking today. Where did I meet Steve Mathis? Yeah, and that's it. Birdwell. You're right. Oh, uh, Birdwell. So you're guilty. Uh, yes, I am. But how did you? How did you? Uh, uh, how did you get that gig? And how was it? And you know, typical. I worked, and then I worked on the FMF race team too. And that was one of those deals. Like with FMF, uh, God bless Donnie Emler Sr. Uh, but you know, he's a, he's a great guy. But sometimes it would seem like the impulses were like, okay, suspension, suspension. All right, no, no, 909 products. Okay, no, FMF Honda race team. (laughs) Like it was, you know, how Donnie is. Um, Yeah. So how how did you like that? uh, Well, it it kind of, to answer your first part of the question, I came into FMF where I had been, I came to the country technically in 87. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like officially came here and landed properly. Yeah. And I'd I'd looked at getting a job here, and I'd called and set up a job. And then when I came here, well, that job wasn't there. So I called Kavini Yamaha and said, hey, while this job's coming around, can I do something for you? I'm a fully qualified guy. What do you got? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't at that point, I wanted to find, kind of get myself grounded. I didn't want to go work for a race team or do anything that, you know, threw me out there without be, having an idea of what I wanted to do. So I went for this dealership in Covina, just assembling motorcycles. Oh wow! And yeah, yeah. You can you can put bikes in a crate, take bikes out of a crate, and put them together in in minutes. You know, and yeah. I was getting paid pretty well to just throw bikes together mm-hmm. and check them out and make sure they're all functional for the for the customer. And then um, then I worked for for Paul Seed for for a couple of years, and then oh, um, okay. got this wild hair. I've always been a writer and written, you know stories mm-hmm. um and then um I, I had a novel believe it or not what? <laughs> what? a science fiction story that i was writing oh. and i told paul c one day paul c one day hey i'm, I'm leaving i'm gonna go i'm gonna go live with some friends in missouri for a while and, and finish writing this book so <laughs> i was there about a year and a half and during that time worked for mickey diamond traveling around and helping him with his bikes internationally and then uh finished that book didn't get it published, but finished it and yeah. started a second and a third. And I've been, you know, playing around with those. But then Donnie Emler called me and said, hey, we're starting this race shop, um, a full, you know, a full shop. We want to do motors and suspension and, right. you know, perhaps go into a team. Um, but um, are you interested? I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. And he's saying, well, we've got to have someone head this division of the company that we've never had. And we do pipes. We don't know anything about suspension. Right. So they signed me up after some convincing, and um, I was there, I think, maybe three years. Um, and then, um, you know, to answer your second part of the question, Donnie is an extremely intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. He, he I, I, you know, he's flighty, but he's flighty because he's got more ideas than he can implement at that moment in yeah. time so yeah he's like an autistic it, guy or something like he's like autistic where <laughs> like he just has these these massive ideas and no time to like do the small stuff right <laughs> but i think if he had set up if he set up a machine that if he could snap his fingers and the idea came out of his mouth and it was implemented and put into action he'd be a billionaire <laughs> Because <laughs> right. the ideas come quicker than they can be implemented, but he's already moved on to the next thing. Right, right, but for, for right. someone partially implementing it, and you take that one guy instead of a machine, right. and put him on the next thing, he's already he's saying, "Well, wait, 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 I haven't finished this idea. Can I 
to my friend who says, oh, no, screw that. We're on to this now. This is the next thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you feel like you're, in, you're, you're, you know, you're surrounded by slappers at that point. Right, right. <laughs> um, you have to excuse me. When you told me you wrote a novel, the first thing that came to mind was softcore porn. So... <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to excuse oh, yeah. my reaction. You want a copy? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a science fiction, and it's um, it's just a story that was in my head. It's nothing right. to do with anything that I have anything to do with. So was, was it? Did, it's it, just, uh, did it have like a Millennium Falcon and Wookies? Because I hate to tell you this, but that's kind of been done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's not like that. But thanks for the input. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, did you leave? Did you go right from FMF to? I'm still amazed that you wrote three books. I mean, they weren't published, but as a guy who, who's a writer myself and I have attempted to start a book, uh, um, I know that's not easy, and I'm I'm impressed. Even one more reason why you're better than me. Um, why, why <laughs> well, the d- thing to do is just do it, and you do a little bit every day, yeah. and you put time for it like you do with everything else. So, right. um, yeah. so you uh, did you go right from, right from FMF to RG3? Yes. Yeah. So you were like, okay, then, I'm gonna start. Were they? Did they fold the suspension thing, or did you leave it? No, they they brought someone else in. Um, I'd had juniors in the in the company to, yeah. you know, that I'd brought in to sort of run it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're running. I say juniors, but they're not like um, yeah, like pigeons or anything. They were <laughs> they were um, good qualified people. So some of the running of it, I just had to hand over, and the technical part of it, they had. So they. They ran with what they had for a while, and then they brought in, I don't know if that wasn't working out for them or whatever, but yeah. then they brought in Pro Action. Okay, yeah. And and they had that in there for a while, probably a year and a half, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. And then for whatever reason, at that point, I'm not involved at all, but yeah. they decided not to do suspension at all. Not to do so, anything, yeah. Um, um, so you, yeah. you, you your first uh, your first kind of taste of racing with the FMF guys, right? You were doing... I don't think you did our stuff at FMF Honda. I think Showa was doing that. Or were you doing that? I don't even remember. Uh, FMF Honda was me. Um and you should remember that. I thought we had I thought <laughs> we had our suspension stuff was done like by the Showa dudes. But no, it was done there was, by there was there was uh Scotty Sheik was on the team and Showa did uh Scotty Sheik because oh, okay. he had a prior contract with Factory Honda and then when he came over to the FMF Honda that was sort of a satellite team that he was going to, and and he said, "Well, my contract's a shower, yeah. so yeah, that's that stayed in place." Okay, that was it. Um, um, okay, so yeah, so you did all of our stuff, uh, Danny Smith. When I worked for Danny Smith and all that. Um, yeah, yeah, Danny Smith and and um, one of your future employees, Jason McCormick, Brock Sellers. Yeah, Jason McCormick and Brock Sellers and uh, Greg Schnell. Mm-hmm. And I think the first year it was a multi-line team. Were you were you there then, or when it was just a Honda team? No, it was just a Honda team when I was there. I think you're thinking of are you thinking of Chaparral? Well, the, they were helping Chaparral. That's what it was. Yeah. There was a multi line team, and then they brought on the FMF Honda team. That's right. Um, so at some point, RG3, you you meet Roger DeCoster, and RG3 becomes the exclusive suspension company for Factory Suzuki. Right? I don't know. Maybe talk about that a little bit. When that happens, and how that happens, and and all yeah, that. Yeah. It was, um, it was, I'd known Roger for a while. I, I, um, I gotta think when I first met him, but I, when I was at FMF, I, I for sure met him again, but, um, I'd had some involvement with Showa, uh, probably through Honda. Mm-hmm. And then, um, had, Roger had brought 
um, one of the shower guys down to see some some stuff we were working on, um, and it was chassis related, and it was he came down to see it, and and I we got talking, and then really how it came about was a few years later after I started RG3. Um, Ian Harrison was Greg Albertine's mechanic, mm-hmm. and Albie was having trouble with whatever he was working on. I think it was 99. Right. And uh, Roger had called me to see if I could, you know, just come out for a couple of days and and uh, and play around. So we did, and we got some good results. And then we worked with him a little bit in 2000, but show is still technically doing the suspension, so mm-hmm. we don't get really any promo out of it. Yeah. Um, and um, Roger paid me to do it. And then it worked up to... He got me involved with the Suzuki. He asked me if I wanted to do the 125 team, and then it kind of evolved from there. Oh, okay. We, yep. And so we, we took over the 125 team to relieve Showa um, so they could just work on the 250 and, and you know, mm-hmm. iron out whatever they had going on there. Yep. And, and I don't know if you've worked with Roger, but that, if you want to have some inspiration, that that guy's a machine. Yeah. He... he Works long days and basically, he, if he doesn't know what's going on, he is going to find out. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. He, he does what it takes to, to get things done, first of all, but also he doesn't leave anything on the table and he doesn't leave a stone unturned to find out how to make a bike better and, you know, bring the world to its knees <laughs> next, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and, and I've heard too, like, very good machinist on mills and delays and, and you know. Not scared to go back there and make something up. Not at all. In fact, there's been times when we want to get something, you know, in our suspension, and, and it's a factory part, and it's got to be 0.25 different in its length to make this other part fit with it, and, well, we're going to have to wait three weeks. Uh-huh. And Roger goes, yeah, no. He goes, <laughs> he's in there, and making it, and the next day we're out at the track testing with it. Yeah. And whether it worked or not, it's at least tested and done with, and either moved on to making it, calling the company and saying, make 20 of these, mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. it, it, it it didn't work, and we, we're doing nothing with it, but at least we know right away. Yeah. So, at this point, you're getting more involved in, in, on the racing side, on the factory side. It's it, tough to balance customer stuff and factory stuff. I mean, at this point, you're like, oh, crap, I got, you know, all these guys these average guys, suspension guy, do, but I got to go testing with the factory team. Yeah, I have had to set the company up around it somewhat. Yeah. Um, we, we um, I have, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a good group of employees, and um, you know they they keep things going. But yeah, when I get back to the shop, I have to do mm-hmm. after a day of testing. I have to do all the customer settings and work out what each customer needs. Yeah, and I don't work on very many customer uh, customer suspension, mm-hmm. but I do the setting for every customer. Right. So uh, I'm fortunate in that I can do the setting and hand it to some competent people and they get it done and, you know, they never get stumped, basically. Yeah. Uh, interested to know, how much does you, like you're working with the best riders in the world. Well, you didn't work with Timmy Ferry, but besides that, working with the best <laughs> riders in the world. Uh, how much... Can you learn from those guys' stuff? And I asked Ross Maeda the same question when I did one of these with him a while ago. How much can you learn from the top guys and, and that level and that level of components that you're working with 
does it help you on the production side and the customer side? Like, is that, is it just two different worlds or do they ever cross? I think, um, from, from my perspective, you know, the learning never stops. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of a double-edged sword. A, a pro top, a top pro can be incredibly good at setting up a motorcycle for himself. Mm-hmm. But if you throw him on a bike to test it, to get an all-round setting for others, they're not normally, you know, legendary at that. Right, right. But but they may understand how a motorcycle works. But but a novice can sometimes test better and give you more information than a pro. So a pro gives you very he understands a motorcycle a whole lot better, right. and generally gives you good data that will cross over to the novice. Um, and I'm saying a novice, not not a guy that's just started riding. I'm yeah. talking about a guy who's got experience on a bike that may ride the novice class. He's right. not. The, the data that comes from any given rider, it's either valid or not, and their skill level as a racer isn't necessarily determining how useful the data is. So mm-hmm. th- does that make sense? Yeah. So in mm-hmm. my mind, I give more credence to a guy at the top of his game and, you know, racing and winning and, and is, you know, the fastest guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but his setting, if I took his setting directly out of his shock and forks and put it into a customer's suspension, it would beat the daylights out right. of them normally. Yeah. And yeah. so what what do you learn from that? Well, you know when you change this, this character changed, and the rider sensation is X, Y, Z. That translates over to, well, how do you quantify that and put it into a novice's intermediate or expert-level rider's suspension? Mm-hmm. but not beat the kidneys out of them. Yeah. So that character change is still there, but it's at a much faster level and things are happening differently. Right. Um, and also, too, where, where are we at, in your opinion, on production suspension? It, it Man, it's it's crazy to think, like, uh, the cartridge stuff comes in in the mid-'80s and everyone's blown away, and Twin Chamber comes in, I want to say, maybe late-'90s, maybe early mid mid-'90s, and... You know, now it's starting to become a little more difficult for people to work on their bikes. And now I'm hearing down the road there could be an air fork in production. Where are we at with this stuff, in your opinion, for product for customer stuff? Is is it is it too far advanced for the average guy? Like, you know, can they can they use their suspension to, and all the technology that's in it? Well, I think the technology that's on suspension now, you know, on a motorcycle now is. It's not being utilized fully by, you know, the guy on the street. Like, say, me, if I went riding, I'm probably an intermediate rider, and I haven't raced for a long time, but I know how to ride, and I I feel like that would be more than adequate Mm -hmm. for what I need. Can I get, will I go faster because I have better suspension? Eh, Probably not. Mm -hmm. Will I have more comfort with more expensive $20,000 suspension? Eh, Probably not. Mm-hmm. And so, can it be different? More more than anything, yeah, there's a better way to do anything. Right. You know, there's a better way. That there's one truth that's happening a certain way. There's certain data that's coming back that's either true or not true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's happening that there's X amount of force going in that direction, and how you control that can always be evolved. And, and I'm a proponent of evolving technology. I love that stuff. Yeah. So... 
I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, it's gone as far as it's going to go. It definitely hasn't. Mm-hmm. Is the next best thing air forks? I, I don't know. I think there's there's pluses and minuses with with air forks. They've been around before, yep. but there haven't been the, the components to put around it like we have now. We have different friction coatings. We have different materials available to us. We have the aerospace develop, industry developing things that we can use now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the path to go down. It's, right. it's a path. It may not be an advancement. A lot of what we're seeing is a marketing sort of avenue. Right, right. And technology is, you know, technology is supposed to be improvement. It isn't necessarily, especially in its development first two years. But if we can say, well, you know, we've got the same forks that we had in the 90s, we'll go put a 1990 YZ250 fork on your bike then. And you'll see <laughs> really how far it's come, even though it may seem right. like it's the same technology. Yep. These parts are different. And, you know, with the advent of... Uh, of the you know aluminum frame and the character and chassis traits of an aluminum chassis, you know mm-hmm. you've got a different animal that has different requirements. Yeah. For the guy on the street, I think I think we're at a point where the guy on the street is loving whatever works best. And if yeah. you blindfolded him and said, you know, this is Ricky Carmichael's fork, but it was a you know a 2007, you know, yeah. something competitive. Yeah. He's He's probably okay with it. You know, he'd ride it and go, "Wow, I rode Ricky Carmichael's fork, and it's it's perfect." You right, know, right, right. So um, it's sort of the the in the mind's eye a little bit on yeah. What, what 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 I wonder what I got here. If he thinks he's got the best, he's got the best. Yeah, I had to. So marketing plays into that. Yeah, I had to laugh in regards to the marketing thing. You know, uh, Showa comes out with their single sided fork, single spring fork, and I'm like. You know, they're touting it and magazines are talking. I'm like, that was from like Marzocchi's, what, late 80s or early 90s. Marzocchi had that. And it probably went further back than that. You know, it wasn't, right. th- it's not that big of a deal. Um, but marketing, like you say, right? Um, now, but the, the air fork thing is interesting because it's, what, two to three pounds lighter? And and that that could be a major thing for race teams. I don't know. Um We'll see where that goes with that. From what I hear, KYB is coming out with it for the Nationals, maybe on their factory stuff. So, and Honda's got it going on in, in the GP guys right now. So, right. Uh, um, it, it, that well, could be interesting. Yeah, there's there's elements of air control that come into play, and and you're going to have better or worse. There's things to be controlled, and there's the ceiling of surfaces that used to maybe control fluid, now they're controlling air. Mm-hmm. There's the expansion of a gas that you don't get with fluid. Um, there's um, the heat that affects things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no aeration of fluid now, so positive or negative, right. that's what we got. That's what you're dealing with. Um, right? yeah. So we've got the unstrung weight, you know, um, okay, so a spring, half the weight of a spring is going to unsprung weight, and well, now you have an air spring, so basically it's capture is is what you're considering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's different elements to consider, I think, is really what it comes down to. And is it better or worse? Well, if we're moving forward into production and into racing with it in different markets, mm-hmm. you would like to think that it's better. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's what, that's what the idea is anyways, right? Do you, right. Do you feel like uh, with the aluminum frames, I mean, the, the manufacturers are trying to, 
it seems like they're trying to get more and more flex out of him at certain points. And even the race teams, I'm sure you've noticed James Stewart's gone back down to the smaller forks in the last, I don't know, maybe three weeks, two weeks. Um, and uh, when I was at Yamaha, even, uh, we, were, we went to like an 18-millimeter shock shaft, and then we went back to 17. Grant Langston won that title in 07 using production clamps and production 48-mil forks. Do you feel like the teams have uh, have realized like bigger is not – and we'll get to your KTM in a minute because you have a steel frame on that thing that you're working with now. But do you feel like when the aluminum frame things, the, the teams are like, whoa, we're going on the wrong – bring it back, bring it back. More flex is better? Do you, do you see that? I think it's more a matter of the character of the flex. Uh-huh. Um, the spring character of aluminum, you know, you have an absorption rate. And you can go closer to, on a chrome ollie frame, you can go closer to the, the, um, to the maximum working limit of the material, and you've got no problems. But if you get close to that on aluminum, you've got distortion, and it stays there. Right. Right? Yeah. You, you, so now, to control that, you have to beef it up. But now you've got more spring. You've got more, you've got to bend it's stiffer and more rigid. Yeah. So well, let's make the character so that it bends in some areas, flexes in some areas, and doesn't in others. Right. The thing with aluminum, I think, is more the return of the material than it is the absorption, or at least it's as much of. Yeah. So controlling the return of the material, you know, it, it winds up like a spring and lets go yeah. at a different time than, say, chromoly. Right, right. And so, you know, saying more or less, yeah, you've got a beefy steering head that we didn't have in chrome, with a chromoly frame, mm-hmm. but we still have, you know, you can't put P-shooter forks on there. Yeah. You right. need to have, you know, you need to have all the hardware around it beefed up too. Well, a beefier fork isn't necessarily beefier feeling. It's now not not bending and flexing in the round tube is going into an oval tube isn't going into an oval tube at mm-hmm. different rates, you know. You've mm-hmm. got a um so when you make things more rigid, now it's more round going into more round. <laughs> so we have a different character as much as anything. Mm-hmm. So friction coefficients play into things as well as the, the you know, the flex character of things. It's yeah. a it's a magical, mystical Yeah like an area that's way above most people. You need an FEA, you know, um, computer program to really work things out. Yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to these podcasts. They wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for BTOsports.com as well as the other advertisers. So I appreciate if you just listen to this, deal with it, order some stuff from BTO, and then we'll get right back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. 
While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, the racewear is constructed with the highest grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex field gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and have launched their all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over. Well, and, and that's just like just from looking at the – I don't see the big lugs anymore. You know, like I said, smaller forks and maybe a little more flexy. Maybe some like Team Honda running the crossbar-less handlebar in the Nationals. Things like right. that where you're like, hmm, what's going on here? And you just see people kind of going back to smaller stuff. And I always think to myself, right. you know, we're just learning as we go, I guess. That. There's for sure that element, and you look at the rider, the marketing the rider takes in himself, mm -hmm. gets sold on the idea that bigger is better, and for sure coming back, well, wait a minute, now my, I, I used to never get blisters on my hands, mm -hmm. now I do, yeah. and you know, um, so yeah, there's, there's going too far, and then there's coming back, but then there's the, 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 the components around everything that's bigger has the edges taken off it. So we have a different character where, mm -hmm. you know, like an engine hanger is a different thickness or a, or a different shape. Yeah. And then, the, the, you know, the edges of things have been rounded and the, and the ribs on the clamps are different. I mean, you can, you can infinite, you can throw a dice and infinitely change things yeah. and yeah. have a better or worse effect. Things that you would think do one thing, do an, an absolute opposite. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah, uh, there's a science to it, but the science doesn't necessarily um, handle and and really satisfy this subjective reality that a human has. He's on a motorcycle <laughs> and he wants to. He doesn't care what a scientist or an engineer says. Yeah. How does it feel? Does yeah. it beat my kidneys out, or does it feel good? When I go trail riding, I'm not gonna. You know, mm -hmm. this guy doesn't care what X Y Z scientist says. <laughs> well, and this is probably where your battle in your mind comes in every single day. You have yourself being around the top riders in the world, telling you one thing, and and then also you're a rider yourself, so you know. And then you have your analytical mind, engineering mind, telling you, "Wait a minute, that's not quite right. We need to do this." But the riders like telling you. No, Rob, you're full of crap, you know? So I imagine every day you're like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like it ultimately boils down to, to, to what the rider feels. No question. And so you know, I don't know how many times I've, you know, you put a shock on the dyno and you, you go, wow, these numbers look really good. <laughs> and then you give yeah. it to the rider because he asks for yeah. 5%. And he doesn't know, but he's guessing he needs 5% or 50% more low-speed compression. Right. So you give him that. And he goes, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> this is unrideable. Yeah. Or you give him something, you go, man, this is going to suck. He's going to, yeah. mathematically, this thing looks like, you know, everything's going to come loose. Yeah. And he, he rides it and says, what did you do? This is, you know, I could ride forever on this. Right, right. Okay, well, you are now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. New setting. <laughs> um. Well, and then you know, I remember at Yamaha we were trying to we were filling around with the frames, two-stroke days, and you know they had the honeycomb um, honeycombs inside the frames, and we welded pieces of aluminum. We we closed up a honeycomb, made it solid with two pieces right. of aluminum, 
and we didn't we and we prepared we prepared a bike exactly like the race bikes. We didn't tell the guys what we did. It was two pieces of aluminum. Reed got on it. Villeman got on it. They rode it for four laps. Came in and said, "This thing sucks." And we're talking just a piece of aluminum, you know, right. sealing up a honeycomb. And so give give the listeners right now a little bit of idea of just how how many things make a difference and how big it is, right? I mean, it's it's huge. Every little thing on these bikes is just huge, and even skid plates and things like that. Yeah, you can have a skid plate. Uh, I mean, the list is new, uh, is like longer than your arm. You, yeah. you you could attach the skid plate with a rubber mount or bolt it solidly, and now the thing's a different animal. Yeah. Or you could, if you, God forbid, welded that thing to the frame, you've tied the whole bottom cradle section together, and yeah. now... That could be super rideable or unrideable. Yeah, either way. Um, you could get out the black and decker and drill a hole somewhere in the frame where stresses come to a head, and you're relieving that by drilling a hole, and now the bike is, has a, a plusher character to it. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. And the rib under a clamp, you can mow down three millimeters, and it's, it's entirely different. Yeah. Or, you know... I, you know, you could go on and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's something that people don't don't really realize. And at, and at the level that you're at every weekend, this is all things that matter, and these are all things you have to kind of think about, right? Yeah, and it's you, you look at it, you get a little sort of introverted, and you're you're in your bubble of holy crap! I'm sending a guy out to the line right now, and he's going up against Lilipoto, and we have to get this right. Yeah, you got to communicate to your rider confidently. Yep, this is what you're going to go win on, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you've got to convince yourself somewhat that that's the right decision. Mm-hmm. So he's going out there with whatever you did, and it's normally based on, you know, quite a bit of empirical data that you have recorded somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you're going back over notes sometimes and going, yeah, this is what we need to do. But, um, you know, a rider is... The beauty of working with a rider, you're working... Uh, in that sort of microcosm of time, you give him a setting and he goes and rides it um, based on him and his needs. Yeah. And the track changes and the stresses that come with a track that's changing with, um, you know, maybe elements of the bike that are changing. You, you, The rider's attitude is changing. Now he's either really confident or not confident or he, he cased something or he you know, didn't do well in his heat race because he went down in the first turn. Yeah. And, or he may be slightly injured, so you have to make a setting that compensates. They're all things that are both really cool because you have the ability and power to change his world mm-hmm. and make life better for him. Yeah. Or it's also very, very stressful because you have to get it right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a, it's a fun game, but it's definitely a lot of pressure. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, and talking about moving on to your career, you you uh, went with Roger, basically. At the end of 20, 2009, Roger signs with KTM, uh, kind of a shock to a lot of people, and uh, immediately turns around and hires you to uh, to handle the suspension chores for the Orange Crew. Um, talk about that decision, and did Suzuki try to keep you, or did you just believe in Roger? How did that go? Well, it, it wasn't quite as dramatic as it seems. Okay. Um, there was the downturn in the economy, um, what we say, 08. Yeah. Going into 2009, um, Suzuki, it, it may be going into 2010, Suzuki is saying, 
um, we've got we've got two suspension companies, and we've most teams have one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've yeah. got to make a plan here, and as Showa is the is the manufacturer of their hardware, it's a no brainer that RG3 is going to be the one that has their contract stopped. Right. Mm-hmm. So we were without a contract. Um, we were expecting it. Um, so we weren't re-signed for that year, and then Roger came after he had left and said, "We want to do something. Um, we're we're putting this team. We, you mm-hmm. know, I'm signing with KTM. Ian Harrison is coming over. Uh, you know, can you come over?" And I had some commitments. So I've got patents that I'm selling, um, and I have to travel internationally. So I kind of had to, you know, really scratch my head and go, "Is this what I want to do? I, I love racing. I can't." turn this down i'm working with roger and ian again yeah but uh you know i got a family to feed and i've got big things coming through so books to write let's let's talk some more and you know roger working with roger you learn something every time he opens his mouth so you know it doesn't take long and you just go all right i'm in yeah yeah uh, uh, you know, t- to me, uh, and I worked at KTM now a long time ago, but I was on the team for the first couple of years, and it seemed like, uh, did anybody, I guess, let me just bluntly ask, did this get anybody at WP nose out of joint at all? Uh, did they want to do it themselves? Uh, how, how'd that go? Um, I guess you don't know. Probably. I think, I think. I, I mean, I can answer that from what I perceive mm-hmm. uh, whether my perceptions are correct or not i, I can't say but right. it seems like uh yeah wp weren't excited about it as the provider of of hardware they would like to be looked at as the guy that's solving it of course but in, fa- in fairness to them they've raced a lot of gps and even you know motocross in the states but what where what data would they be drawing on to go racing supercross in the United States at Ryan Dungey's level uh, or, or or Andrew Short's level yeah, you no, know nobody so right so so I, I don't know that it's really an indicator of their inability it's it's more that the experience needs to be drawn upon that really wouldn't be there yeah so if you if you get initial settings from WP you know, you'd look at it and go, okay, that's great. That's good for the enduro setting. What are you sending for Supercross? <laughs> and if you send them the setting you're giving, and they they, they say, are, like, are you serious? Like, There'll be not... no fluid passing through this thing. You're going, <laughs> yep, welcome to Supercross, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> this is no rhubarb leaf here. This is going to be some real crap. I picked, up some, stuff up. I picked up some solid washers from Home Depot, and that those will be my shims. Right. There's some gate washers, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, no, and 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 I just know that you know from being there and, and being around those guys, and from what I know, they're they're a proud company. They want to do well, and like like I, like you know, it's exactly what I'm getting at is they probably are like, damn it, this guy seems to be really smart. Damn it. <laughs> um, well, they're a pretty switched on company. They yeah. they have some technology behind them. They build good hardware. They know how to to work out what goes right and what goes wrong with yeah. manufacturing and with building stuff at a high level. Yep. But settings and, you know, even the flex character of things at that level, mm-hmm. they're entirely different. So, yeah. you know. Um, what did you think of their no-link stuff? Did you do much of it at RG3? Did you work much with it? What was your opinion of that system and, and what they got and what they switched to? The no-link, did you say? Yeah, the no-link stuff, the PDS stuff. Did you do much of that? 
we did tons of it, and we still do tons of it here. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, right. I... Like they, they, it has the, it has its place. There's no question. Right. I am definitely, and I'll say it on record. I'm I'm not a proponent of a no link system compared to a link system. Mm -hmm. But don't get me wrong. A link system can be as wrong as it gets. Yeah. If you if you don't nail that right leverage ratio, it's it's still wrong. Yeah. Wrong is wrong. Right. Right. And. A link, without a link, you just don't have as many elements to, to help make it not wrong. So, I don't know, uh, you know, the, the linkless system definitely has its place. I know for off-road, simplicity is best, and for any yeah. racing, simplicity is best. Um, I think, um, it, you know, you're, you're complicating things for sure more with a linkage, but it gives you more to put to play with, to tune it, and get right. exactly what's needed for each character. Mm -hmm. you, you got. I use the word character a lot because it's so much, not just a, an, a, a, you know, like A equals A kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, you know, a, the shape of a feeling, if you like, right. that a rider communicates to you. And there, there's things going on with a with a PDS system or the or the the linkless system that basically has its shortcomings. You get to say supercross whoops, yeah. and there's some shortcomings. You know, you don't have the <laughs> yeah. you don't have the ability to tune out both ends of the scale to where you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, uh, trust me, I worked there. Uh, supercross whoops. When I worked there, when there was a PDS, and you know, you would tell the guys, you're like, look at look at this, look at our stuff, and they'd say. On the dyno, a no-link suspension is exactly the same as a link suspension, the curve, you know? And, and it's ex right. there's nothing different. And I'm just like, well, watch my guy through the whoops right now. <laughs> right. Watch my dyno through the whoops. Oh, wait, your dyno doesn't ride. Yeah, exactly. It was, well, you know. well, but there's, there's something to be said, too, for I don't care what any, any engineer says. Mm -hmm. It is mechanically impossible to be the same. And, and the reason is... How can you control something mechanically that's based on its position that gives a progression, a yeah. linkage? Yeah. Compare that to something that gives you a progression hydraulically. Fluid, yeah. So you fluid. could say fluid mechanically going through holes at different positions is going to give you damping. Oh, wait a minute. But if you push the fluid through a hole quickly or slowly, it has an entirely different attribute. Yeah. It's not, not the same animal at all now. You've jammed fluid through a hole, or let it trickle through a hole. It's either it's either not going because it's moving too quickly, mm -hmm. or it's just falling through the hole. So a link doesn't have that. You've still got the hydraulics and the fluid passing through valving, but as far as its position sensitive components, it's not relying on the 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 fluid system inside it yeah. to control the progression. Right. So there's no way it's, it can be the same. It can't be the same. Right. Yeah. Um, so you show up at KTM and, and you, you you know you do well. Andrew Short, Michael Lessey, uh, they did well. Um, we can get into the 350 thing, but that's another whole other podcast altogether. They, they, they both guys do okay. Um, Ryan Dungey gets signed, and now you're working with a guy that you you know that wins some titles and wins races. And you on top of that, you have a new bike. Um, what's the challenge like for you and that new bike? Or was there much of a challenge? Or was it was it simply um, you know, kind of same old, same old, or did, did the new bike kind of take you back to square one? 
Well, in some ways it went back to square one. I mean, any new bike, whether it's aluminum frame or KTM or Yamaha to Yamaha, there's a personality with every bike. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, we go back to square one when you you talk in terms of, um, well, there's something different here. You know, we're going back to chromoly frames, but a chromoly frame has some definite advantages, you know, and we're, we're working with, a material that we worked with many years ago, yeah. and now we're using newer technology and newer, you know, clamp technology, even newer shock technology. Mm-hmm. Um, how the material is prepared and welded and made into a frame—all these things are taken into account. And that KTM engine is unbelievable. Like it's a, it's, it's an amazing package. Yeah. So. When you're looking at KTM as a company and how quickly they can react to what's needed, mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're at square one in some ways, but you don't have a company that builds, you know, um, tricycles on the corner. They build motorcycles, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they can do it at the snap of a finger. Right. So you've dealt with the Japanese companies. You 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 call and you want to change. <laughs> okay, I'll see you next year. Yeah, it's six months. Um, don't worry. We'll yeah, get it done. And for production, you know, it can take a long, long time. Mm-hmm. With with KTM, if you need some changes, you know, Roger's on the phone and it's happening. The thing evolves incredibly quickly. So it's it's a good base anyway, I think. And then um, it's just a matter of working out exactly what its personality is, right? When you think you've got it dialed, it turns around and bites you. And right. turns out she's not such a nice girl after all. But yeah. for the most part, she's got good manners. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, and congratulations too, by the way, on, on uh, the two race wins. I mean, uh, that had to have been all you guys, uh, everybody in the shop, and, and motor guys, suspension guys, chassis guys, mechanics. Uh, incredible! You, you you had to feel pretty 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 pumped after Phoenix, huh? Yeah, there's no question that winning makes you feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, and and and. You feel pretty humbled when you're working with a bunch of guys who work their tails off, and they're none of no one goes racing to get second. Yeah. But when you win, you're kind of going, you know, the team is first of all going, "Holy crap, we could win this thing!" Yeah. And then it's like, "We won this thing," <laughs> you know, uh, and and so it opened some eyes for sure. But you got to back it up, and so we did. Um, a, few, a few races later, but still, you know, it, yeah. it's coming, and this the it's a matter of um, it's definitely a good feeling. I, I don't think um, when you have a like this though that works so hard, yeah. it's not unexpected. You couldn't you look at Roger and Ian and Leighton and Mark and the suspension um, and, and all the mechanics. You know, you've got Carlos mm-hmm. working for Dungey. He's been around, yeah. and you know, you, you've got a crew that's that's basically from one end to the other, geared to win. So yeah. you, you you've got to be humble about it, but at the same time, I guess you should almost expect to win if you're supposed to be a champion. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm just some idiot in the media, but I wrote before the season like, I think it's going to take them a little while. They've never made the box in Supercross. It's a new bike. Uh, you know, right. KTM doesn't have the the best uh, of luck in the big bike class, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then you guys make, like I said, make me look like an idiot. Go out and you're competitive right out of the box. And 
and uh, and you win a race in your second race. So it goes to show you what I know. But I will say, uh, well, what? But you've got statistics to go on. So well, why yeah. would you say differently? Yeah, exactly. Thanks. And then you, but then you've got uh, this is a totally different bike, right? And it's really testament to how good that bike. I think. Yeah. How good that crew is. Those guys really work hard. But it's also, you know, Dungey. Yeah. Dungey knows how to ride a bike. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he can get it done. So. Um, uh, it's going to be interesting as the season goes. You know, it's sort of it's unfolding in a way that's. You know, we're expecting a bit of a development year. Yeah. And, you know, part of us is saying, you know, we're, we're not expecting to win. But, yeah, part of us is expecting to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait a and, minute. And, then, and the tough thing is when you win, you expect to win again. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. so it's a double-edged sword. You're willing to put in more because you've proven already that you can do it, but now you've got to do it. Um, so, and, uh, yeah. And, and, but it did look like you guys had some issues in San Diego in the whoops. Um, right. Do you agree with that? Do you, uh, things you're working on, things you, did you learn something? Uh, did something bite you a little sooner than you thought on that? Well, unfortunately, I wasn't at that race. Oh, I was oh, out oh, of the country. Well, that's why but, then. That's why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was on the phone. and No, I think there were just elements to that race that were different, and we didn't move quick enough for the changes needed. Mm -hmm. um, that was... Um, that was a setting that we'd been trying, and it and it looked like the right setting. And then uh, it's it's uh, it's probably a mistake on my part that we went with something that you know those warps were further apart. Mm -hmm. They were they had a straight face on them, and you got to be prepared for that. Right. So um, I admire the honesty. Know. I admire the honesty. The so honesty. we 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 go to the next step, and we 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 change things, and we we mm -hmm. learn. That's what I'm saying about it. every time you go yeah. testing or even come to work, you learn something different. Right. Um, so, I can imagine you. Yeah. I can imagine the phone calls back to you out of the country and you just freaking out because you're not there, right? So yeah. um, you're like, oh, man, all the races for me to miss. Yeah, and, and you know, it, uh, would it have been different if I were there? It's, it's probably better that I wasn't there because I can tell you, hey, I wasn't there, but <laughs> hey, I'm there. I've... <laughs> My responsibility is that bike, and yeah, the setting yeah. probably wouldn't be different if I was in the country and right there. <laughs> so it's still you can still point at me and go, "Geez, you really messed up in San Diego." <laughs> and yes, yes, I did. Right. Um, so the let, wrong the wrong setting, basically. So let me ask you this: if you're if you're building a bike, RG3 is building a motorcycle tomorrow. Um, yeah. Using your brains, do you put an aluminum frame on it or a steel frame on it? Ooh, you like that question? What do you put on Ooh, it? What that's do you... a loaded question. I know, I but... Think I, would, I think if I had the budget, I would build both and do back-to-back -back <laughs> and do testing on both. Okay, all right. <laughs> How do you like that, that answer? Has, that I personally, I would go, because of the ease of manufacturing I would pr and, and, the, and the basic way in which chromoly comes about mm -hmm. and, work, and its workability, I would probably go with chromoly. Yeah. Just because it's consistent, because you know what you're getting with it, as aluminum, like what we talked about, the aluminum being so sensitive to different thicknesses and things like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's the different thicknesses, but you get that sensitivity with chromoly too, just in different areas. But okay. when you're manufacturing, like if I were making a motorcycle, mm -hmm. you're considering the cost of manufacture, material costs, 
Um, you've got to age the material after welding it, and it's got to be set for a while. I mean, there's all these things that have to come about just from a manufacturing standpoint. Mm-hmm. But as far as just pure, uh, how would you say, just pure functionality yep. and pure um, workability uh-huh. on the track, I would probably go with chrome ollie. Okay. All right, interesting. But again, I would test them back to back to verify. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, listen, but you, I mean, you've had direct high level involvement on now on both materials. Not, not that nobody else has, but certainly recently, that's you right now. You know, uh, KTM being the right. only Cremoli frame. So I'm interested. Right. That was definitely one of the questions I had down for you. I, I'd, I'd love to hear your theory on it. It's, you're, you're, you got a good point there. Um, uh, and so we talked about going smaller on the aluminum frames. It looks to me, just from an outsider's checking out Dungey's bike, big lugs, big front axle, big forks. Look like maybe 52s or 53 millimeter forks. Um, so you're you're kind of getting some rigidity in the in the components as opposed to the frame. Would I be on the right track in saying that? Um, well, first of all, I can't take credit for any of the sizing or how things are right now because they're a yeah. production choice that's way before I came along. But the the theory would be that yeah, there's there's some big forks, big clamps, and this this the frame isn't like made out of straw though. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, and, and, and you know you've got a chromoly frame. Yeah, it's it might be smaller than its aluminum counterpart, but it's definitely a beefy frame. Mm-hmm. And um, you know there's. There's areas of it that need to be beefed up or relieved still, just like an aluminum frame. Right. Um, so I think there are still some areas that are too beefy, and for sure there's areas that need to be beefed up to, to answer the question, hopefully. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, as much as you can, right? The, right. Uh, um, hey, have you noticed your business for KTM's picking up? A direct... Um, a direct uh, business which. Because business was picking up anyway, but I'd say percentage-wise, I think yes. Yeah. Um, well, KTM business, since our involvement with the team, yeah, for sure. And people, when, when we were doing the Suzuki team, we would get Honda work because we did the Suzuki team. Why, um, why, why that? Why, how does that well, work? Well, I, I, I think there's something about proving that you you can do something at that level. You must know something about suspension, so I'm going to send my Honda to you. Okay. All right. But, <laughs> but uh <laughs> He's got a Honda. He doesn't have a Suzuki. Do you think you could do my Honda? <laughs> but, um, so Suzuki, we, our, our Suzuki work came in when we were doing Suzukis. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, we kind of started from square one doing suspension for Suzuki pretty much right away. So it's hard to have a statistic going back and saying, oh, yeah, we yeah. we had a massive increase. Right now, in in present time, KTM percentage-wise, for sure, has gone up. Mm-hmm. And and other work has gone up, too, same as it did with the Suzuki, because we're doing KTM factory. Right, right. Um, well, that's good to hear. Give me uh, give me one mistake that you see the average racer doing with his suspension. Or give me two mistakes, whatever. Give me some... Uh, give the listeners a little bit of advice uh, on what, they, what you see uh, people doing that's just wrong on, when it comes to chassis slash suspension <laughs> on their bikes. Uh, you got an hour? You to throw them under the bus? Um, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, what, what would you... Well, offer? I do. I think the big thing is that they need to ride their bike before they send the suspension in, first of all. Okay. Um, two, 
they you got to be your own keep your own counsel somewhat if you don't know what you're doing fine and ask people but the bottom line is even even me as a suspension guy there's a lot of people with an opinion mm-hmm. just just ride the bike and what do you think right and then um and then a big thing is they don't even set the sag they don't know what sag is so <laughs> they they ride the bike and they'll they'll beat the, themselves to death and then say my suspension sucks but this this sag is at 85 or something you know right right, right. and so the biggest mistake they make i think is not setting their sag then not sending it in for service more often they'll ride it till it's black fluid coming out or they blow a seal yeah and you know hardware is hardware it still needs to be loved you know yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) you don't run your motor well you shouldn't run your motor (laughs) forever without changing the oil well the suspension's going up and down you know a few times a lap yeah and it gets just as trashed as your motor that doesn't get fresh oil so i think that's a big one and then um you know, I think when they take the wheel out, this is you. You must have seen this, where they just tighten the axle oh. and they squeeze the the right fork across, and yeah. it's putting the fork in a bind. That yep. seems to be pretty common. That's 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 a, yeah, that is kind of common. You're right. So yeah. just some simple things like that. But yeah. I, you know, I don't really know. I I think people tend to you know bury the clickers and do all kinds of crazy things that you could list forever, but yeah. they're probably the main ones there. I always tell people that if you're at the outer edge of your clickers, in or out, you got to fix something. Something's up. Yeah. You know, uh, um, it, just on a local level. If you're right. if you're all the way in or all the way out and it still needs to be more, then time to send that stuff in and get it looked at. Get a spring yeah, well, change. Just, just having springs correct for your weight. If you're 110 pounds, do you really think that if you're riding a 450F, that that spring rate's correct for you. Yeah, yeah. So when it's throwing you on the ground, you know, at least call someone and get a different spring idea. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no way it can be working for you. Right. Um, uh, hey, the new Yamaha, uh, controversial machine uh, a little bit. Some riders love it. Some some riders don't like it. What's your experience with it? Uh, just uh, from whoever you've worked with on that bike, uh, I'm talking about the uh, the 450. Um what do you think it needs? A lot of people do clamps on it. A lot of people kind of kind of say it's uh they need to uh, bring it in a little bit. But uh, what do you think? Well, I think every time we've tested with bringing the forks in a little bit, it's been better. Yep. Um, and that's thing with an average rider of sort of junior, intermediate, expert sort of level. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be the same with a pro. Uh, so bringing in the clamps has been huge. And then... Um, I think people love or like that based on their experience and how I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's an experience that someone either likes that feeling or they don't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's it's not a good or bad bike or yeah. chassis. It's just the character of that bike. And do you like that character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people like it, like 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 I said, right? right? And, and but you agree that it is different, though. You, you it's find for that, sure different, yeah. And, yeah. and the way it translates weight to the front is for sure different. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just I think, you know, like an older rider or, or a, a top pro, he's set in his ways, and does he really change his riding style to suit something? Yeah. Probably not as much as your average guy. Yeah. So at the top level, 
you know, I can't answer for James, but I can't imagine someone telling me, you need to ride differently to make this bike work. <laughs> yeah, You're yeah. going to look at them and go, what? Yeah, I've been yeah. riding for a long time getting paid to do this. Uh, and I'm Can pretty good change? at it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at yeah. it, too. Well, I know which side my bread's butted on when it comes to a motorcycle. <laughs> You're trying to tell me to change how I ride? I can't imagine. So, you know, I, I don't know what you do with that. I think, you know, kudos to him riding that bike. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I'm wondering if, yeah. You know, and well, I know you're giving me this question in a loaded form, so no, I talk I'm not. to you about it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm I, on to you. I am anyway. not. I, I, I uh, uh, um, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah well, well, I mean, yeah. Uh, like the bottom line is he's riding that thing on the edge, and you, you, you're riding at a limit that these other guys are riding at, too. Mm-hmm. You've got to be totally knowing what your bike's doing, and, and I don't think he knows yet what his bike is doing. <laughs> I would agree with that. I know one of his complaints is that, uh, from talking to him, is he rides over the front of the bike, and right. he can't get up on the front of the bike on that thing. Can't do it. Right. It, it. It works weird when he does it, you know? Right. So, um, and, you know, that could go into what we were talking about, the forks and you know, I know my buddy uh, Red Dog did some testing for him, and yeah, that's you know. But it's it's just it's it's like you said, it's not good or bad. It's just different, and you like it or right. you don't. You know, so um, right. Give me so a, you yeah. know what could you say? Like, hey, don't ride over the front of the motorcycle. That's how he's made a living. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to make it work differently so he can ride over the front of the bike. Right, right. <laughs> hey, what uh, what happened to external shock reservoirs? What happened to those? Where'd they go? You mean um, remote reservoirs? Yeah, remote ones. Sorry, there are yeah, remote ones. Like, um, people love them. They went away. Well, I think you know, there's probably a multitude of reasons. Is you know, there's there's somewhat of a fad thing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sales thing. People want it because it's the latest and greatest. Yeah. But there's also the technical aspect of it is that it's it's basically adding volume, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are you talking about the four canisters or the shock ones? Either one. Either one. Yeah, I think, um, you know, really it probably comes down to marketing and how well it's pushed at any given time. Yep. It's not It's not out there now because, you know, A, some top rider isn't using it for whatever reason on a particular track. It didn't give him the feeling that he wanted, so it came yep. off. Yep. And so then it's not pushed as much or not seen as much in the limelight as it would have. And then... You get to the other end of town, well, now we were selling the daylights out of it because, you know, Bruce was running it, and now he's not. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not selling any, so let's start making those because we're not selling as many. So yeah, it kind yeah. of spirals down, I think. Yeah. Yeah, in the end, it's in the end, it's a single-sided fork thing a little bit, right? The single-sided spring. It's it's a little marketing, a little a little different way of right. doing the same thing. Right. Um, uh, hey, what about – so Daytona Daytona's coming up. This podcast will be up, I think it'll go up tomorrow. Um, Daytona coming up. Do you change the suspension, or is it Daytona has, as you know, Daytona has evolved uh, from what it used to be, where guys like top riders like Ty Birdwell were demanding outdoor suspension for that race. Um, nowadays, do you change much? Um, what do you find in your in your in the last couple of years since they've gone to a supercross uh, style track? Yeah, there's still elements. There's a lot more elements of it that are supercross than there are outdoors for sure. Yeah. Um, you're for sure running a softer setting than you would. Like you have that that sand to clay transition at the base of jumps that you've got to accommodate. Right. So you don't want to just lose your lunchbox at the bottom of that thing. <laughs> so it's still got to be stiff enough, and it's still 
you've got some high speed stuff that it needs to be compliant on, but it's softer ground anyway. Yeah. So being too uh, being too stiff is probably a better error to make than it is to be um, too soft. Right. Right. And so yeah, we're tending to probably tame down a supercross setting a little bit, but it's certainly not an outdoor setting. Yeah, it's it's, it's not what it used to be back in the day. Not for sure. Um, for sure. Uh, and to wrap this thing up, give me your best Mickey Diamond, traveling with Mickey Diamond story. <laughs> best Mickey Diamond story. Yeah. You got me on the run there. Well, um, I didn't even know you did that. You were you were saying you were you did some overseas stuff with Diamond. This would have been near the end of his career when he was sort of just riding around. So there's got to be some yeah. good ones. <laughs> yeah. We well, there's a couple of classics, but the um, let's see. This would have been what years? Would he been riding that Cowie by then, or was he? Uh, he was on a Honda when I was working with him, and it was in it was after his heyday kind of thing in ninety, probably ninety two, ninety three. Oh, he was still riding then, huh? Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, he was doing some five hundred nationals. He went and did some Grand Prix. Yeah, with, so with Parker. I, I built some transmissions for him and shipped them to him in Italy. Uh-huh. Um, he was having problems with the gearboxes, so I built some stuff for him. And then, and that was around '92, I think. But um, a good story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got some good mechanical ones, but they're not. Uh, one of them uh, in Acapulco, we went to a, a, a race they had down there. Yeah. I think they ran it for two or three years, but um. We get to the line, and this bike is just some old roach that a local has given up for Mickey Diamond to ride. <laughs> we, we flew with our suspension right. and whatever hardware we can bring, and we bolt it all on. <laughs> We're on the line. You check it over as best you can. You yeah. put a new piston in it. You make sure of everything, and the seat would touch the frame. I mean, you'd, you'd sit on it, and the thing would go all the way through, so I've got to pack the seat yeah. with newspaper. and I mean, it's going to last the event but that's it right so he was pumped because i got him a new seat oh, <laughs> really yeah. all it was was some some foam that i found and stuffed it up under the seat cover and newspaper you know, <laughs> yeah so he's got this bitching new seat on the side and then he's uh he, he, he pumps his he does the parade lap and he comes in and he goes i got no back brake and you look at the and when have you ever seen this where the the, the seal around the slave cylinder on the brake rear brake is just squirting brake fluid. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and you, know, you wear brake pads out, but come on. Yeah. So the thing is just a pump, right? Yeah. And I'm saying the gate's going to drop. What do you want me to do? I've got, I don't have, I barely have a bike, let alone yeah. spare parts. Right, hold so, on. Let me pull out my slave cylinder and my air bleeder and an air compressor. Right. <laughs> right. So let me get right on that, Mickey. So he goes, Ah, screw it. I can ride without a brake. <laughs> so he rides his supercross, and he gets a horrible start, and he's going into the first turn, and he has nowhere to go because he can't, you know, he's, he's normally backing it in a little bit with the back brake. Right, so right. He just kind of lays it down, and then comes out of the corner okay, but he rode the race with no back brake, and... um. <laughs> It proved his legendary status to me right there. Right, right. Yeah, he was. But it could have been no front break, so. Yeah, it could have been worse, right? That would have been that would have been worse. Um, Rob Henderson, thank you. Uh, RG3Suspension.com. Everybody check it out. Buy a clamp. Buy a link. Send some suspension in. Help the guy out. <laughs> um, I appreciate you doing the uh, BTOSports.com Racer X podcast show. Always a good talk. Always interesting. And I think we all Thanks learned something today. So. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And. Um, 
I'll see you when you're uh, at a race. Yeah, in not Daytona. Indianapolis. Right on. All right, Rob. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. See ya. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200-episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.